This is a Federal News Network podcast. For the first time in a couple of dozen blue moons, Congress may not pass the National Defense Authorization Act before the end of the year. The House and Senate versions have some politically serious differences. For a comparison, we turn to Bloomberg government senior national security reporter Roxana Tiran. Roxana, good to have you back. Thank you very much for having me. And yes, I think there are some questions about the uh, defense authorization bill this year, mostly because it is an election year and also because it has a pretty big veto threat hanging over it. I think the main concern about the bill is that they did not want to place lawmakers, in particular senators, who may have some tough election races, to take a vote to basically override the president's veto over the defense authorization bill. Now, that veto threat comes over a provision in both the House and the Senate bills that would basically force the Pentagon to rename military bases that bear the names of Confederate generals. They also go a little bit farther and ask for basically all the remnants of the Confederacy to be erased. Symbols, all sorts of other paraphernalia that the military likes to have around. All of that is supposed to be gone. So is it fair to say that the removal of the Confederate memorabilia and so forth is bipartisan? Because if it's in the Senate and the House versions, it has to be something both parties seem to back. Yes, it is. Basically, both bills in the House and the Senate pass by a veto-proof majority, which means that if the president vetoes that bill, it goes back to Congress and they can take a vote and override the president. So basically win on this issue. You know, the problem in particular, and I think that's why they're in part holding this up, is because Senator Jim Inhofe, the chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee, uh, promised the president that he would take out the provisions asking for the renaming of the bases. The question is not very clear how he's going to do that, and he's not quite tipping his hand. So, But right um, now it's still in there. Right now it's still in there. They barely have started. I mean, normally they would name conferees uh, at this point, but they haven't. And they don't like to name conferees during an election year because once you do that, then there's motions to instruct conferees, basically. There's motions to, you know, ask conferees to do certain things during the negotiations. And so I think leadership is trying to avoid that in particular, Uh, which means that staff is working on this, no doubt. However, the main issues that usually go to the lawmakers won't be tackled until after the election. Right. And so with only one week to go, roughly, and Yom Kippur is you know, next week, they won't have the ability to get this done as they have for, what, 60 years before the end of the fiscal year. Correct. But just to make a point, they hardly ever do it before the new fiscal year starts October 1st. Usually, you know, us defense reporters are jammed with defense authorization bill in December. The the real cutoff is December 31st. It's okay. when some of the authorizations run out and that's when lawmakers start to worry that they might not have a bill. So really, the, the real deadline is December 31st. However, they do want to have it done ahead of time. We're speaking with Roxana Tiron. She's senior national security reporter at Bloomberg Government. Aside from the Confederate issue, are there other substantive policy differences that are tough to iron out between now and then? Basically, everybody's saying that once the election is over, I think everybody's hoping for the election to go smoothly and to be able to just tackle everything in the lame duck session. 
They don't think so. There are not that many issues that would stop them in their tracks compared to previous years. I think the main issue really is the Confederate issue based on the promise that Senator Inhofe made. So the question is, how are they going to go about this? Is this going to hold things up? There are other issues in there. For example, the House doesn't stop the closure of Guantanamo Bay. They're silent on it. They don't prohibit the closure and the Senate does. So that's another issue that also the Trump administration has brought up. There's a couple other things in the House bill, particularly related to the recent protests, to the Insurrection Act, to the kind of authority the president would have, basically limiting the president's authority to call up active duty military, to suppress protests. All of those things have attracted opposition from the White House and did not get to be included in the Senate bill. They are making some changes. Both of the bills are making some changes in a program that transfers excess military gear to the police. The House has much stronger language, given that it's democratically led. But the Senate also is codifying the type of equipment that the military cannot transfer. And the military, in all honesty, has not transferred those in a long time, such as like grenade launchers. But they're also not allowing them to transfer track combat vehicles and, and so forth. Sure. And getting back to the renaming of the basis, I guess the military leadership hasn't really weighed in on this because it's not the kind of thing they want to weigh in because it is a political issue. But many of those old time generals that ended up in the Confederacy, I guess, were also West Point comrades of the people that ended up in the Union. So there's a little slightly different connection with those people than the general public might sense. Sure, there definitely is history there. However, you'd be surprised to find out that General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, has called um, the Confederate generals have committed an act of treason. So he does believe that this issue needs to be approached. He does believe that the nation needs to discuss this and potentially change the names of those bases. And we're talking in particular about 10 army bases, I think, that really stand out of course, all of them in the South. We're talking, you know, Fort Benning, and they're all in the South. They're mostly army bases. But General Milley did weigh in. And Secretary of Defense Mark Esper, in sort of a delicate move, issued a memo for the type of flags that the Pentagon and military facilities can display. And the Confederate flag was left out of that list. Right, so got it. didn't specifically say, don't do it but it's not authorized. So therefore, he has weighed in in a more sort of roundabout and delicate manner. Obviously, he has left other flags out. For example, the LGBTQ community is upset because that flag is not listed on the memo as well. So it did rankle a few other people. But in general, he didn't put the Confederate flag on that list to basically just make sure that he also doesn't anger President Trump. And on the larger issue, do both versions of the Authorization Act authorize the same amount of money? They do, yes. And to specify, this is the last year where we have a Budget Control Act, basically, where we have a specific uh, budget agreement on what the defense spending level should be. It's uh, $740 billion, $741 billion to round it up. And both are authorizing at that level. And the Defense Policy Bill also authorizes national security spending at the Department of Energy and military construction as well. And with respect to the veto threat from the White House, I mean, the White House, frankly, has a little bit of a history of having a louder bark than bite when it comes to bills. I mean, the president in the first budget he ever signed said, this is the last budget I'll ever sign like that. But it wasn't. 
And so it could be that the veto threat is just that and that it could just go ahead and, and both him and Inhofe are kind of off the hook. It's absolutely possible. And to be honest with you, lawmakers aren't that worried about it. They are worried about keeping a trap. And we're talking about this would be the 60th year. So it's quite a a good record. And it's considered a must-pass bill. That's why you always see it being adopted in December, because, you know, everybody sees it as a way to attract maybe other legislation, to keep it till the very end, because it, it does authorize pay and it authorizes hazard pay. And so it's a very important bill. And since it's passed for 59 years, sort of the pressure is on the lawmakers to pass it for a 60th. And so, yes, and it also depends on the outcome of the election. If President Trump wins, he might as well go ahead and veto it. Or if he loses, I mean, it's really, we can't really tell at this point what he's going to do. He was very forceful about his statements about removing the Confederate remnants and the Confederate flag. We know where he stands. He hasn't changed his statements yet. But I think the Congress also has the votes to override the veto. Roxana Tiran is senior national security reporter at Bloomberg Government. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash Podcast One to learn more and start your free trial.